Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 4, Episode 12. A new man. And a new podcast host. <laughs> Hi, Kendara. Hi, Kara. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me back. We have with us uh, Kendara Blake, published author of many novels, including In Every Generation, Slayer is Born, <laughs> uh, which is the new tie-in series coming from Disney Hyperion, uh, set after the conclusion of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Some of you will remember we did a bonus episode where we interviewed Kendara all about the book and the writing process and such. So you can go back and listen to that. And we had so much fun that we said, hey, come back and do a recap episode with us. And you chose to come back for a new man. So maybe could you tell us a little bit about why did you want to recap this episode with us? Well, I have very fond memories of this episode. Um, I love a Giles episode. Like anytime they allow Anthony Head to stretch and shine is good with me. So, and whenever Ethan Rain shows up, that's, that's just what ends up happening. It's just good times <laughs> all around. Like some of my favorite Buffy episodes are uh, Giles slash Ethan episodes. Band Candy is one that comes immediately to mind. Yeah. And, you know, Band Candy is the last time we saw Ethan. And I think we brought up in that episode, Kara, um, how did he get away? We left him handcuffed in the candy bar factory and we never revisited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there. it's not too hard to slip a pair of handcuffs if you know how. It's <laughs> true. And he would know. He would know, right? We know he has that kind of past to him. And all the adults were high on band candy. So it wasn't like anybody was able to keep a lookout for him. That's true. While Buffy was burning down that giant sewer snake <laughs> he just he snuck away and here he is again it's exciting to see him i just think this is a great episode i had a lot of fun watching it and i can't wait to talk about it i will say off the bat um i was trying to figure out why the title is called a new man and it actually kind of occurred to me that it might be about riley even though it's boo. a giles centric episode i know boo i don't want a, another roughy episode that we're entering here but a new man i was like it could very well be referring to riley who is the new man in Buffy's life, right? That is true. You know, I never thought of it that way either, but they do spend quite a lot of time in this season introducing Riley as the new man. Like there are quite a few episodes where it's like, oh, there he is. And oh, we're going to learn something new about each other this week. And oh, we'll have like longing glances. But <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Well, we just finished recording Doomed, too. And by the, the fourth argument between the two of them, Car and I were like, no more. <laughs> like, we are sick of we Ruffy. stop <laughs> summarizing the arguments because it was the same thing over and over. Yeah, we're like, no more. Well, let's get started because we start off with, um, as I think you said before we started recording, a cold open or <laughs> like a, a shocking sight when we start off the episode because 
Buffy and Riley, Ruffy themselves, are making out on her bed. They're lying down. There's no space for Jesus between them. Cheesy 90s music is playing. Like, I stumbled into a scene from Dawson's Creek, I think, because... They're lying on the bed and Riley's asking her, you know, are you expecting anyone? And Buffy's like, Willow's going to be in the science lab all night. So they're like, great, great, great. So they keep making out. Riley's starting to go up her shirt. Like, I think he's going for her bra, the infamous bra clasp. And unfortunately for Riley and no one else, <laughs> Willow busts in and she says, we've got trouble. And uh, she says in the rec room, um, it came through the window and Riley's like, vampire? And she's like, vampires don't breathe fire. Ooh, I'm intrigued. So they head out. Riley takes a crossbow and heads in the opposite direction of the girls. And Buffy's like taking her stake out, uh, even though Willow said it was not a vampire. He's also dressed in his uh, green commando sweater, right? Yeah, true, true. Like, he's not subtle at all. Remember how we talked about it, Hush, how it's like he's the least subtle commando and it's surprising nobody else has figured this out yet? Like, here he is cruising through the dorms with a crossbow and a commando shirt. <laughs> well, what time is it at night is what I want. It's probably like 7 p.m. It's not even that late. Um, my thing is also that you know, I don't like to think too much about Buffy and Riley and their compatibility at the moment, even though the show is forcing it down our throats. Uh, but they are both equally bad at keeping their secret identity. So they are heading to the rec room and it's dark in there. Buffy's telling Willow, like, I got better things to do tonight. And I think she means Riley. I think she means she's got better things to do as in my new boyfriend, the new man in my life. Uh, they enter the room and surprise, all the lights turn on. There's, it's full of people, I assume from the dorm. Uh, Xander, Giles, and Anya are there. Uh, Riley enters through the back door, so no one sees him with the crossbow or his soldier gear. <laughs> um, and was Riley not part of this surprise? Is that no, weird? He, he wouldn't have been able to keep it a secret, right? <laughs> By the way, Kendara, so we've been having this debate the past couple of episodes. Do you think Riley is a himbo? In some aspects, I certainly do, yeah. Yeah, he fits the bill. He, I was trying to think about Riley before um, we met up for this episode. And in some ways, like he's just a big, dumb puppy that needs <laughs> a whole lot of training. Like for as capable as he thinks he is and as mature in some aspects, he's very naive and he seems to want from Buffy a whole lot of guidance about demons and women and <laughs> all the, you know... Falling in love. So I think he's definitely a himbo. A sweet himbo, but he's, you know, got the muscles and stuff to learn. Isn't that the definition? If you have the muscles and stuff to learn. Yeah. I, so I was skeptical at first, but what clinched it for me was the scene in Hush where he and Buffy are fighting against the gentleman and she's like struggling and trying to indicate to him to smash the wooden box. And instead he smashes something right next to it. And then he looks up at her and the look that he gives her, like he's expect, like he's a dog who's just done something good. Yeah. That, that, that's what clinched it for me, but no Steph, I don't, I don't think anybody told Riley because he would spoil the surprise. He would not be able to keep that a secret from Buffy. He'd have, he'd be walking around with his big dumb smile on his face and then yeah. she'd wring it out of him. I did think it was, a little bit negligent, though, on Willow's part, knowing that Riley has this link to the commandos. Like, can you not, like, throw him a little eye contact yeah. as you leave the room? No crossbow. Because it could have gone very badly. Like, Buffy's <laughs> birthday could have been, you know, besieged. 
And also I kind of thought it was like, sometimes the Scoobies are very Scoobies only. And I think that was kind of a not so subtle message to Riley that you're not in yet, bud. Right. You're not part of this. So you (laughs) will show up with a crossbow and look a fool. Well, you also raise a very interesting point that like Willow doesn't give a shit if Riley exposes his secret. (laughs) It's like Willow's like, that's not my responsibility. (laughs) Take the crossbow. What do I care? (laughs) I also just want to add that I just miss Cordelia, right? Like where is our chips and dip girl? Yeah, it's just, that's what this scene reminded me of. And I'm just like, I miss it. I miss her. Yeah, I miss her too. Uh, but we're, we've replaced it with Riley's golden retriever energy. Uh, Buffy is surprised and she's and Willow says, guess you're not killing anything tonight. And Buffy's like, don't be so sure. Cut to credits. So Giles is talking to Xander and Anya. Um, and he's telling them a story about his school adventures. And Anya says, I'm bored. Let's eat. <laughs> And Xander's like, Anya, we've talked about this because Anya's being rude. So Anya apologizes to Giles. And like, she actually kind of has that, the same kind of energy at the moment where she looks at Xander like, did I say it right? Like, did I do it? Did I do good? And then she says, please continue your story. Hopefully it involves Treacle and a headmaster. And Giles is like, just go eat, like, just get out of here. And this kind of broke my heart because we cut to some time later. I don't know how long it would take, maybe half an hour. And in this kind of setting, that would be excruciatingly long. Giles is looking bored and alone and he's sitting alone. And Willow comes over and asks if he have, if he's having a good time. And Giles is like, well, there's lots of new faces. And Willow's like, yeah, mostly kids from the dorm, a couple of Riley's friends. So again, if Riley's friends are invited and no, <laughs> why doesn't Riley know? <laughs> With deliberate has to be delivered. <laughs> no one tell that guy. He's He sucks. He's the worst at keeping secrets. Um, so, yeah, Buffy approaches Giles, gives him a hug. Very cute. Um, and she introduces Riley to him. Like, this is my boyfriend. And it's like introducing Riley to her dad, right? And that's the energy we have here. So it's actually kind of interesting to me that Giles doesn't see it that way. Like, that's the, the mm. approach that I think Buffy was taking. Like, meet my boyfriend like this is a big deal and giles is more shaken up that he didn't know she's calling buffy her boyfriend like we've gone from like hush and doomed where it's like can we make this work to well i guess you're my boyfriend now that's the label they've agreed that he was that he's a boyfriend and he can undo her bra (laughs) like giles shakes his hand and like again i just think he's more concentrating on the fact that he didn't know that she had a boyfriend as opposed to the nicer positive energy that is i'm introducing him to my father figure and she already said a couple episodes ago that she wanted giles to walk her down the aisle (laughs) when she thought she was marrying spike so like i don't know i just i wish they i wish that giles wasn't in such a headspace that he could he was so happy at the spike wedding idea (laughs) at first so i just wish he carried that over here it is kind of like going giles official you know, like it's like Facebook official before that was a thing. But <laughs> Buffy just brought Riley Giles official and it is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So Giles, you're you're out of sorts. You need to check yourself. Um, and it's interesting, too, because Riley says, like, did you help plan the party? It's quite the surprise. And uh, Giles is like, yeah, yep, the first of many. Um, have you been dating long? And Buffy ignores that and just says, you know, Giles is a librarian at my old high school, which is such a weird way because like that is true but that's a weird way to introduce somebody to your father figure like 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting she doesn't say Giles was my watcher. Um, yeah. But of course, she can't say that because we need the misunderstanding that happens later, which I love. Right. But I don't know. Buffy later on, she claims she just forgot she told she hasn't told Giles that Riley's a commando. I don't know if I believe her. I feel like she was holding that back. Yeah, that was on purpose. Uh, Giles says that he misses the library. Like he just gives a little on oh, the good old days, you know, and Riley said, asks if he's retired. <laughs> and Giles is like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm not old enough to be retired. Excuse me. <laughs> I was fired. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. Like <laughs> what happened after Sunnydale blew up? Because all the kids in the other grades must be going to different high schools. You think one of the high schools would have been like, do you want to be a librarian here? Like, did Giles just turn them down? Because he's like, wow, if it's not over a hellmouth, it's not good enough for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, he was only, we, we already knew that he was sent there to be the watcher and just the library was his second job, but then it became his only job. <laughs> now he's got no job. Right, but there's, we've seen, like, he's the foremost archaeological expert or whatever, right? <laughs> like when that guy wanted to consult him on a cath lab. Yeah. I feel like Giles renowned. is slacking off. Like he could have any number of positions. He's not unemployed um, because he can't get a job. He's unemployed by choice right now. Is Giles independently wealthy? Because living in that place? It's been a long time since he's been paying, like getting paid by the Watchers Council at this point. So like true. it's been a while since they let him go officially off the Watchers Council, which I always thought that was his main source of income. I'm not sure yeah. about how it is in Canada, but here in the United States, we do not pay high school librarians all that well. Like they are underpaid and Giles wears all those snappy suits. So I figured <laughs> it must be coming from somewhere. And he's got cash to throw at Spike later and he's always fixing the the times his apartment gets busted. <laughs> Maybe he's a gambler. Maybe he like bets at the dog track. Yeah. Or he's got, he's in on Joyce's gallery schemes, right? Like maybe they're in cahoots. Um, yeah. Lots of questions around Giles and this, but it's just funny that it brought up by Riley. Like, are you retired? And Giles is like, Oh my God, like, no. And it's so awkward. And he stammers that he's between projects. And I love when people who are you know, unemployed at the time say that because it's such a good way to cover. Very California thing to say. No. And Buffy says, oh, look, Giles has no cake. So Riley runs, the, that like the puppy he is. He runs to go get dad some cake. Go fetch, boy. <laughs> fetch, okay, okay. And then Buffy says, oh, he's just nervous. It's And it's nice to have everyone together. Um, of course, she's like, you could smash in all my toes with a hammer and it would still be the bestest Buffy birthday bash in a long time. Fair. It's true. And Giles says, Willow and Xander did the planning. He wouldn't have gone with a surprise party. And I was like, true. So this is another thing that Giles is saying. He's like, not only did I not know you had a new boyfriend, I wasn't part of this plan to have a party for you. And if I was, I wouldn't have said surprise party because remember your 17th surprise party and then uh, your 18th birthday where I surprised you by drugging you and seeping you of all your powers. So I agree. Like, Giles should have been in the mix there to tell them, hmm, surprise party, maybe not. And I will add that because I'm not familiar with this episode, as I have been other episodes, I didn't I didn't remember that they were celebrating Buffy's birthday at all in this episode. In my head, every single Buffy birthday is a disaster. This one's fine. This one has cake, right? A little dorm party. So much cake. So Buffy quotes Professor Walsh. 
and says adrenaline is like exercise, but without the exorbitant gym fees. And she says, you should meet her, Giles. She's absolutely the smartest person I've ever met. And Giles is like, oh, well, perhaps you should have invited Professor Walsh to the party. And Buffy says, she's 40. She's got better things to do than hang out with a bunch of kids. Rude, Buffy. That's not like her to be so tactless. Oh, the things kids say <laughs> to their parental figures. Just terrible. So mean. I was like, Buffy, you're so wrapped up in your new boyfriend right now that like you didn't even realize, A, that Giles is feeling out of place at this party in your life. But like now you got to like rub it in that you got a new mentor figure that you think is smarter than him. Like, ow, owie. So let's cut to Xander's basement. Let's leave the party. Um, Xander's annoyed because Spike is still there and he's taking a long time to move out. Oh, they're just letting Spike go? Well, after all this time, they kept him, and I do air quotes here, prisoner, <laughs> and they let him basically be a roommate for them for the last couple episodes. And now it's like, get out, Spike. Like <laughs> You must now make your own way in the world. <laughs> You've been rehabilitated. Off you go. Um, I personally loved Spike in this episode. Oh, hell yeah. He like this is like peak spike for me. He's so funny. He's got him and Giles are so good together. And just like his whole demeanor here, he's got his swagger back because he knows he can kill demons. And that's all he really needs in his life is violence. And and here he is. He's like stealing Xander's radio in front of him. And he's like, you're what? Shocked and disappointed? I'm evil. <laughs> like I'm glad he's reclaimed his title of evil, his label. I also just love that, you know, this is an episode where Spike actually isn't being actively misogynistic because I've come down on him hard for that in previous episodes, you know, and, and a lot of people who are fans of Spike will be like, well, why are you so hard on him? And I'm like, because he deserves it. But in this episode, like you said, he's just he's great. He doesn't have that misogynistic streak to what he's doing and what he's saying. So I can really enjoy the banter and his actions. And as I've said in the past, Spike and James Marsters, they just have screen chemistry with everybody. So it doesn't matter whom you pair him with. You know, in this scene, it's Xander and Anya. And then later on, of course, with Giles, it's just like he just bounces off everything you give him. And that is that is my favorite thing about Spike as a character. He could have had good chemistry with that lamp if, you know, they allowed <laughs> him to the take lamp. it. Like he, is, he is that good. Hey, can I ask you guys something a little bit off topic? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You might have talked about this before, but how do you guys feel about Xander and Anya's burgeoning relationship at this point? Um, he was just in that previous scene, like trying to explain to her, like, this is not what we do. This is not how people behave. And I don't think it bothered me back in the day, but on this rewatch and like the previous rewatches that I've done, I'm like, this is kind of gross. Like, I don't like the unequal power dynamic that this is setting up like mm. it, it's for some reason it kind of reminded me of um hearing about like elder abuse in um bilingual homes where the parent perhaps does not speak english and the child is like their translator and they're linked to the english speaking world and so the parent becomes a little vulnerable like i feel like anya is like xander is setting himself up as this knowledgeable like ah my my young little pat on the head demon super powerful girlfriend but i will teach her how to be a proper citizen like it it's just i don't know mm -hmm. it strikes me as odd this time around 
Well, you're right. Uh, Anya is too old for him. So <laughs> first and, off, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. I agree. Like a lot of our listeners write in and talk about how they read Anya as autistic coded, and you can see that in that scene, right, where Anya's just saying things that don't fit with that social contract of being polite and just masking. Um, and Xander's trying to teach her how to mask and. I, I agree with what you're saying, and I think that's a very interesting perspective. It's like, you know, he was very reluctant to get into this relationship at the beginning, and now that he's in this relationship with Anya, he doesn't seem to respect her for who she is. He only wants her as a, a thing that he can enjoy sexually, enjoy romantically, and when she does something that displeases him, he corrects her. He kind of had a similar pattern with Cordelia, you know, he would get on Cordelia when she was being too shallow or being too self-involved. Like he was, you know, policing that essential Cordelia-ness that we all really like. And I mean, that that happens in relationships. And I don't think that at this point in Xander's, uh, in Xander and Anya's relationship, he's doing this in any way consciously. I think he is really doing it because he cares and he wants her to fit in and he wants her to, you know, have a really good human life. But knowing where their relationship ends up and, and all the other things that go along, it's just, it really rubbed me strangely hearing him say that at the beginning of this episode. It's also worth remembering, right? Xander comes from what little we see of it, an abusive household himself. And so there is mm -hmm. that whole thing where, not to excuse it, but you know, these cycles of abuse get replicated because this is all he's seen, right? Maybe this is how his father treats his mother. And as much as he might recognize consciously that that's not a good thing to be doing, subconsciously, because that's all he's known, he is falling into those patterns. Yeah. Kudos to Nicholas Brennan and the writers, because as many aspects of Xander's character as perhaps don't haven't aged well um, in the progress that has been made since the show first aired, he plays it perfectly. And they write the character perfectly. I mean, Xander is a very real person. Um, I know I know a lot of guys that remind me so much of Xander a little bit to this day. They, he's oh, no. just a really <laughs> well-written character. Like, And as much as, as flawed as he is, I, I'll always have a soft spot for Xander. I keep, I keep remembering, because you said earlier about the, um, the bilingual story, how when Anya first came and now that she's adjusting to being human, it always reminded me of more of a foreign exchange student. That's how I see her, and that's how I see Xander taking care of her. But then I always get flashbacks to Inca Mummy Girl, where he was like trying to get with Empata, or who we thought was Empata, and same thing. Like he was like, "Do you speak?" Like he, like you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he always does want to kind of be the person to bring this foreign exchange person into his society and into his world. Well, he also has that inferiority complex, right? Because he's been around all these strong women who are very much in charge. And he's always been the follower among the Scoobies. So anytime he has that opportunity to assert himself and be more of the leader in a relationship, I think he relishes that. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah, but I mean, in the meantime, Anya's given away his stuff. So I kind of understand his annoyance here. Um, <laughs> she, she's asking Spike... Uh, what kind of place is he looking for? And he says a crypt, someplace dark and dense, but not as dark and, and dense as this place. <laughs> and Anya agrees, and right? She's like, it is pretty depressing. 
Spike says that he's known corpses with a better smell. In fact, I've been one. <laughs> so Xander's kicking him out. Anya hands Spike one of Xander's lamps and says it's a gift for a new place. And a gift is traditional, right? Like she read about that. And Xander says that's among friends. With bitter enemies, we do not give them my lamp. And Spike says it's not going to have electricity, okay? It's a crypt. And Anya point makes a really good point and she's like what about running water or a fridge to keep your blood fresh right like you're not living the lifestyle you used to live she's like you should get a hotel or something a hotel room and spike's like oh my god you got a point and he, then he demands money from xander for a better hotel room <laughs> what is this xander says like get out of here or i'll get the slayer over here to kick your ass out and then spike says i don't know why she didn't come say you know say goodbye shed a few tears and i was like duh spike it's because she doesn't care (laughs) she never really did care about you um but now that you can't even be an enemy to her anymore she like what like spike just he's his obsession with buffy goes so that he's like oh she should be here to like i'm the big bad i'm like her number one enemy she should be here to like to kick my ass out but she doesn't even bother because why would she bother with that well, they were just recently engaged. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like she should come give the ring back if anything. Um, <laughs> so Xander says she has an appointment with someone who's actually still scary. And we cut to Professor Walsh and her office. And she's meeting Buffy as the Slayer for the first time. And she's like, the Slayer, we thought you were a myth. And Buffy says, well, you were mistaken. <laughs> She's stuck at your job. <laughs> I love that joke. It is so funny. Here we are. Buffy's meeting Professor Walsh, who we know is a one of the head people at the initiative. It's so interesting to me that Buffy, like, she told Riley, sure. But now the initiative and all the people in this government department are going to know that she's the slayer. Like, is she even trying to keep her, her identity a secret anymore? Because it, it just seems like she just gave away the farm really soon and really willingly. And I can't, this is what Giles warns her about later, for sure. Riley can't keep a secret. He was going to slip <laughs> at some point. I think it just shows um, that Buffy is not threatened in the slightest by the initiative or the United States Army. Like, push <laughs> comes to shove. She knows, like, uh, Slayer's going to win. And, you know, bureaucrats, she does not respect them. love that for her so Walsh says to think all this time you're sitting in my class well most of those times (laughs) like get over it she missed one class Professor Walsh she says "Uh, I always knew you could do better than a B minus and this was shocking to me because recently Buffy apparently wrote a remarkable paper good enough in that class that she could lead discussions and like study groups in psychology 101 uh so the fact that she has a b minus right now is like i thought she was doing better than willow so this is this is strange professor walsh says now i understand your energies were directed at the same place as ours it's only our methods that differ we use the latest in scientific technology and state-of-the-art weaponry you poke them with a sharp stick this bitch (laughs) this this bitch right here uh Professor Walsh, it, number one, it was shocking to us that you didn't know what the Slayer was, that you thought it was a myth. You didn't do your research. You didn't know that the Slayer was very much in the city that you're living in. But also um, that you don't know what a Slayer is still, right? Like Buffy is the weapon. Well, I love that. Buffy is the danger. It's not the sharp stick. <laughs> and they don't get it. So Buffy says it's more effective than it sounds. And Walsh agrees. 
they have so much to learn from each other. And she's working on getting her Buffy clearance to come into the initiative. And their operative is a very impressive, says her. <laughs> um, and she says, Agent Finn here alone has killed or captured how many? And Riley's like, 17, um, 11 vampires and six demons. So like, oh. he's trying not to brag. <laughs> he's trying to humble brag. So hard, so hard on Riley's behalf when he spat out that number. It's like, yeesh. Ooh, it's embarrassing. Good for you, son. Walsh asks, how many hostels has Buffy slayed? And Buffy just gives a look, right? And I, I couldn't help but compare, because again, I feel like this episode's more about the new boyfriend, Riley, than anything else. And um, this is like that age-old relationship question that couples ask each other, right? Like, what's your number? How many people have you slept with? So, you know, Riley says 17. Um, and Buffy's like, so much more. <laughs> so my number's so much higher than you. <laughs> like, does Buffy even know <laughs> at this point? No, there's math to do. There is math to do. There must be somebody on the internet who's done a count of all the on-screen <laughs> and implied slayings, right? I mean, there must be some that just we never know about, but somebody out there must have done a count of every single vampire, every single monster that Buffy kills. I love that idea because so many girls, like friends of mine even, keep a note, like a note in their phone, one of their notes open, like with their number. <laughs> so why isn't Buffy doing that with her slaying counting? Or I mean, maybe Giles was keeping track in his watcher diary. I don't know. That would be his task. That is true. I was kind of reminded of like what you were saying just now. I'm reminded of that scene from Friends where Monica is trying to get her number and she's like, well, you know, like three guys a year for 12 years. And then she does it and she's like, oh my God, it's definitely less than a stadium. I feel like Buffy could have just responded like, well, I've killed less than a stadium. <laughs> no, I think it's more than that at this point. <laughs> Like, oh, it's so funny. So, Welp, uh, so cut to Giles. Giles is um, doing his daily dusting, I suppose. When you're, when you're between, between projects, you dust your house a lot. Um, and he, a book grabs his attention and he starts to read it. And he's like muttering to himself. He's like, you know, third new moon after the 988th feast of Deltrox. <gasps> and he's like, oh, crap. So he calls Willow and he's saying like he's collecting materials. And um, it says, uh, we cannot wait for her, Willow. The demon prince bar vein is gonna rise tonight where is she exactly um oh dear so buffy's walking on campus with riley and they're they're swapping stories and again like riley's intimidated by buffy's number <laughs> and he's like okay you drowned or like you snake like daily slay slayage wow and buffy says it's not really it's not like it's no big really like who wants ice cream and i was like no buffy don't downplay your numbers they're super impressive they're accomplishments like be proud yeah but they're not the the type of accomplishments that you're expected to have as an eligible young woman right <laughs> it's true that that slaying slut <laughs> <laughs> so riley says he saw her stop the world from ending and assumed it was like a big week for her but turns out he needs to find out what the plural of apocalypse is and I don't know what the plural is. Apocalypse? Just apocalypses. It's nothing big. <laughs> okay. Uh, Buffy says, if you've been fighting since you were 15, you'd have a hefty resume too. Um, and like R Riley literally clutches his pearls. He's like, Fif like 15. <sighs> like you've been slaying since 15. <laughs> you whore. Um, they have different <laughs> amounts of experience. And um, Buffy says, 
she has the whole pre-natural slayer strength deal. And I want, oh, sorry, <laughs> pre-natural. And I want to remember this here because Buffy, he's see, like Riley's seen Buffy's slayer strength. And here she is again saying, I have strength. Like I have supernatural strength and something about Riley's little himbo brain cannot wrap around that concept, this episode at all until the very end. And even then, does he get it? Like, I don't think he does. Um, So Riley says that the girls he grew up with could hold their own. (laughs) So, (laughs) so Riley, what? So he's like, I don't even think I could take you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, it just gets worse. It just gets worse. The things he's saying. <laughs> so then Buffy turns it into a sexual innuendo and says, that all depends on your meaning. Oh, wink. So, you know, she still wants to do him, even though he can't understand how strong she is. Giles is entering Professor Walsh's office and he's like, oh, the school's a labyrinth. <laughs> and she's like, can I help you? <laughs> and he's like, he introduces himself and he's like, I'm looking for Buffy Summers, she, um, a friend of hers. Um, and he says he was her high school librarian. And Walsh is like, yeah, like she's not here. So like, what are you doing here? And this is a really bizarre scene to me. And I think it's because I'm siding with Professor Walsh. Like I think when I was younger and I think the way the script is supposed to be is that we're supposed to think Walsh is a huge bitch here. We're supposed to think she is being callous and cold and just, just a bitch. But like Giles, you're coming into her space, asking her these weird questions, being condescending and offering unsolicited advice for no reason. And I don't like it. It's weird. I see what you're saying. I'm not sure I agree. Let's see how the scene. Let's see how it plays out. Giles says that uh, Buffy has been influenced by her class and she quotes you often. Like sometimes she sounds a bit like an introductory textbook herself. And Walsh is like, I don't lecture from the textbook. (laughs) And I'm getting also, what was her name? What was um, Faith's watcher name? The the woman watcher. Gwendolyn Post. Post. I'm getting Gwendolyn Post vibes. And I like it. Walsh says that uh, she's really glad that Buffy's inspired by the material. You know, she's bright. All she's lacking is, is encouragement in the academic setting. And Giles says that he thinks it's best if we let a young person find their own strength. If you lead a child by the hand, then they'll never find their own footing. And Walsh says, if it's true about hiking, th- therefore, ergo, it must be true about life. <laughs> Giles says, that's not like, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm just saying that Buffy's not the typical student. Once you get to know her, she's a very unique girl. And I hope you're not going to push her. And Walsh says, I think I do know her and I have found her to be a unique woman. And Giles is like, oh, how wrong of me to choose my own words. And this is where I was like, Giles, like you're being really passive aggressive. And just in the fact that she corrected you that Buffy is a woman, not a girl. And it kind of makes me wish that Buffy had, I like, I love Giles, obviously I'm a Giles fan, but um, it would have been nice to have for Buffy to have more female mentors and more female role models over the last couple years here r.i.p jenny calendar yeah <laughs> always on our mind you just don't see enough of joyce where's joyce you don't see enough of joyce in these college this first college year you know i get joyce is probably trying to give buffy her space she's going to college in the same town where her mother lives she doesn't want to be dropping by the campus every week you know being all terrible and unwanted but i did miss joyce buffy dinner in a bag 
Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, what was Joyce doing during Hush and, like, all these things? Like, they just left her at home or was she still at her sister Darlene's? Yeah. So so Walsh says that Buffy's self-reliant, very independent, which is not always a good thing. I think it can be unhealthy to take on adult roles too early. What I suspect I'm coming, I'm seeing in a, is a reaction to the absence of a male role model. And Buffy clearly lacks a strong father figure. So this I don't agree with. I don't, I right. don't. So this, this is the part that rankles me about this scene is, yeah. you know, we, we already didn't like Professor Walsh. Do we need another reason to hate her? Well, here <laughs> she's straight up, she's calling Giles. She, she's calling him a bad dad, Steph. Like, no one stands for this. That's unfair. But I'm saying what led up to the conversation going this route is that Giles is inserting himself in her busy day for no reason other than to like compare dicks. I think, you know, I see, I see what you're saying. I I agree with you. He is a total stranger. This this is a weird conversation in both ways, in both senses. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could totally see myself reacting the same way if some total stranger just popped into my office to demand answers about, you know, something I wasn't even thinking about at that moment. (laughs) But I do think that at the end of the scene, when she says, clearly lacks a strong father figure she knows now like she's taken a good read on giles and she says that on purpose because he she gets that he is meant to be buffy's father figure and it's it's an intentional dig by then because they just hate each other now it only took like (laughs) what 30 seconds but they are mortal enemies yeah and i but that's the thing is like i think that giles I don't know what he was going in there for other than to create an enemy for himself because he's bored and just as like in my i think what triggered me about this scene where I was like, Giles, get out of here is because I work in a very male dominated industry. So I have like, you know, men waltzing into my office all the time to tell me how to, you know, this is how I would do the job, or this is what I think about it when it's like, I didn't ask you, you know what I mean? So I think it's just interesting that he comes in to be like, well, I actually know Buffy better than you. Not that Walsh knows that Giles is, was her watcher or that Giles knows that Maggie is what she is. Um, But he did come in there to, size her up and i think she sensed that really correctly and i think that's why she bit back and but i don't like the the daddy issue of it all i don't i don't like it doesn't sit well with me giles is shook by this conversation the the very idea the audacity of this woman to say that he's been absent when he and we all know that he's been there um and walsh is like you know what i'm sorry i've got things to do like please leave (laughs) cut to the cemetery at night where giles is still fuming about this conversation which i i actually understand this because i fume a lot giles is walking with xander and willow because the prince demon guy was supposed to rise at sunset (laughs) and willow's like aren't we like late (laughs) so sassy willow (laughs) no so Giles is like, well, I had to search the globe for our Miss Summers and then do battle with the, that Harridan. And then Xander's like, yeah, but then you got lost on campus. <laughs> so cell phones would be a really good thing to have right now. Giles is saying that he could take care of this on his own because he's vanquished demons in the past. They enter the crypt and it's empty. And Giles is like, I don't understand. Like it should be, there should be ruptured earth and broken stone. And then he figures that it hasn't happened yet. This, this prince rising and Willow says, well, you know what? I bet the initiative took care of it. And Xander says, Riley and his guys probably all were over here already. And Willow says they, they must've cleaned up the place. They read hotspots, areas of otherworldly activity and energy. And they must've picked this place up days ago. And Giles is confused and he's like what are you talking about what's the initiative and what does that have to do with buffy's new boyfriend and 
it's so awkward. Willow's like, you, you do, you know, like, I'm sure, you know, like Riley is one of the commandos and Giles is like, what? <laughs> That's literally what he's like. He's like, what? <laughs> like slow motion. It's just marvelous, isn't it? Like he starts freaking out. He's like, um, here I am spent weeks trying to get a single scrap of information about our mysterious demon collectors. And no one bothers to tell me that Buffy's dating one of them. Who else knows? And Xander's like, like, this is my no favorite one. moment. He's like, no one, no one else knows. Anya, and that's it. And Willow's like, Spike, and Spike. <laughs> and then there's a beat. There's a moment of silence. And then Giles, the look, the look that Tony Head gets on his face. And this is why I love him as an actor, because he's just, he's so expressive, you know, for an Englishman. He is so expressive. And then he says, Spike do? <laughs> and the revulsion and appointment in his voice when he says that might be my favorite line of the whole episode just this little moment it, it's just it's its own mini comedy sketch yeah it like it pushed him over the edge he's like of all the people like you told they, they broke giles because at this point he just goes on a rant <laughs> i know and and xander says like only the basic stuff like riley is a commando and professor walsh is in charge and of course that it's a trigger word now for Giles. And he's like, Professor Walsh, that fishwife. And I had to look up what fishwife meant. And it means a coarse-mannered woman who is prone to shouting. And I was like, that is terrible, Giles. I don't like this side of you. It's a very sexist thing to say about a woman who is like independent and in charge and like a boss. Like, come also, on. Also, to be fair, she didn't shout at him. Like no. But sometimes like that's like something that misogynistic men do is they always say like women are mm -hmm. either being emotional or they're loud, right? Oh, that woman's really loud. Well, was like, or is she just living her life and she has things to say? I bet he thought that she talked for 90% of that conversation they had. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> so Willow and Xander are super uncomfortable. I get it. I feel that. Uh, Giles just tells him to get out. He's like, clear off. And he like sits down. And he's upset, obviously. And Willow's like, are you sure? Because we could stay. And Giles is like, no, go. And they book it out of there. <laughs> they like run. And Giles sits for one second. And then he says, who am I kidding? And he gathers up his stuff to go. And he says, nothing is going to happen. So I think this was like the straw that broke the camel's back in Giles's case. Like, obviously, we've been leading up with the birthday party, with his conversation with uh, Professor Walsh. Giles is feeling left out. He's feeling left behind. He doesn't know his purpose anymore. He used to be the first person that he would go and tell the stuff to. And he didn't know. He didn't know this giant secret about someone that's really close to Buffy now. So it hurts. And this is so funny. So he leaves. And <laughs> who walks out of the shadows? Ethan Rain. And he's like, oh, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that at all. In fact, Ripper, old mate, I'd say something rather interesting was about to happen. And then Giles re-enters the room and's like, did someone say something? <laughs> and Ethan's just like, oh, bugger, I thought you I thought you'd gone. <laughs> I, I love it. This this is such a hilarious episode because <laughs> This is the only, this kind of thing only happens on TV, right? Like you expect like there, there to be this, it's, it's a commercial break. You expect there to be this dramatic commercial. Ooh, Ethan Rain is back. But no, we, we pierce the tension right away with Giles coming back in and discovering <laughs> Ethan Rain. That was great. Yeah. 
Also, didn't Ethan just basically show up just to Jack with Giles? Like, is there any other reason for him to be in this episode? Like, or for him to be in that particular crypt? Yeah, I made that note too. From what we gather from the next scene, it sounds like he's feeling Giles up for info. So I suspect he's planning to either, like he either has somebody who's interested in the info already, or he just wants to sell that information to the highest bidder. Yeah, and he's like fucking with Giles while I'm here. It's just my mo. It's like I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's an agent of chaos. He's got it in his calendar. His little day planner. He's like fuck with Giles, eight p.m. <laughs> to eleven p.m. Yeah, eight to eleven. And that's and I again about this like reveal that Ethan Rain is here and that Giles like realizes he's here right away. It's just funny because the last two times that we've met Ethan Rain or three times I guess he does very much do that. He likes to mysteriously appear. And then it takes most of the episode to realize that he's there. So here um, they completely undermine that, which I love. So Giles is like, you have no idea how much thrashing you is going to improve my day. And he starts to like beat him up because, you know, masculinity. And Ethan says, hang on, hang on. You can't, you can beat the crap out of me. Go ahead, but I won't stop you. Or you can listen to what I have to say and find out what's going on because something bad is happening, bad for both of us, and you have to listen. You're going to need time to prepare. So we cut to a pub. Obviously, Giles listened to him. And they're getting some brewskis. And Giles is like, just tell me what you want to tell me. And Ethan says, um, oh, you're so cross. Like, we used to be friends, Ripper. When did that all fall apart? And Giles says, about the same time that you started to worship chaos. And Ethan says, religious intolerance, sad that. I mean, just look at the Irish troubles. And Giles is, like, going to leave. He's like, you're wasting my time. And Ethan says, hang on, I'll tell you, something's happening in the dark world, whispers and rumors out there, but only one thing is coming through clear. Something's harming demons. It's not the Slayer. Know anything about it. And Giles is like, well, what are they saying? And Ethan says, you know, demons, like exaggeration and blank verse. Uh, they're scared, though, and they're there's something called 314 or 314 that's got them scared most of all. The kind of scared that turns to angry. And I know we're not particularly fond of each other, but we are a couple of old mystics. And this new outfit, it's blundering into places it doesn't belong, throwing the world out of balance. And that's way beyond chaos, mate. We're heading quite literally for one hell of a fight. So I think this answer, I think you're right, Cara, like this, she, he came here to pump Giles for some information, I think, but also like, why? Like, like what's like, I didn't realize that what Ethan is coming here for that, that like the initiative was like making moves in the underworld that people were knowing what was going to come. But it's weird that Ethan is actually wrapped up in it. Cause like he said, like he worships chaos and I didn't think that he really cared like about big or bad or anything that's going on. So I'm just curious, like why he would be following this kind of source. Yeah. Maybe we're not supposed to know. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, and he didn't want to be caught in the crypt. So like he was <laughs> going to like turn Giles into a demon first and then pump him for information. Like I'm, oh, true. I'm just, I don't yeah. even know if, well, really... but maybe he wasn't pumping Giles specifically for info. Maybe it's like, this just became the opportunity. Maybe he was just back in Sunnydale in general for info. He just rolls with it. He just happened to yeah. be in that crypt and like Giles walked in. He's like, oh, good. Like, this is my Thursday night now. You know, like, I don't know. Well, that's chaos for you, right? Yeah. He's just chaotic. <laughs> sure. Sure. Is he moonlighting as a crypt broker? Is he like, <laughs> was, did he have a showing for Spike? Of a yeah. New he was yeah. about to show Spike off the crypt, of course. Um, I will point out here that Giles has an earring in. He's got like a little stud in his ear. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Um, 
so we cut to Buffy and Riley working out together and fighting each other, like play fighting or practice fighting. I don't know. Um, and I just want to say, Riley, this is really embarrassing because when Angel and Buffy would work out together, Angel would make Buffy a charcuterie board. <laughs> like he would have bread and grapes and things laid out for her to snack on while they ate. And Riley didn't bring any of that. So amateur hour over here. At one point, Riley asks if she's holding back and she's like, are you? And he's like, maybe a little. (laughs) I cringe. And she flips him onto his back and she's like, maybe a little too. Buffy, you are not even, it's not even holding back. Like you're just swatting away flies at this point, you know? It's impressive the amount of self-control she has here. Riley, he does a really cool, I don't know what they're called, but when you jump up with your feet first, I've always wanted to do that. So I was impressed with that. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but they they agree to go all out, both of them, right? And still Buffy doesn't. So like, why would she? But she manages to kick him across the room, which surely would kill him <laughs> and break all his ribs. She asks if he's hurt and he says, I don't think so. And she apologizes and Riley's like, what? like she's good. I don't like it must suck to be Buffy because like to have to apologize for telling your boyfriend that you have super strength and then him not believing you and then you give him a little taste of it and then he's like oh sorry 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 like Riley so we cut back to the pub Giles and Ethan are getting wasted together love to see it Giles is is drunk he's saying you know for 20 years he's been fighting demons and Maggie Walsh and her ninja boys come in six months later the demons are pissing themselves in fear (laughs) and they never noticed him and Ethan like doesn't know who Maggie Walsh is. Giles says she's awful. And she said that he's an absent male role model. Absent my ass. I'm twice the man she is. <laughs> so um, Ethan says, you know, you're very attractive. And Giles is like, wait, what? And it turns out Ethan's not talking to him. He's hitting on the waitress. But I think Giles, we know that him and Ethan used to get it on, at least in orgy form, but possibly they were lovers at one point. So, I like that little call out. And this is something new I've re- realized in the rewatch that they have this like chemistry, this this sexual energy going on. Giles says, we got to face it. We've changed. Like, not you. You're still sadistic and self-centered. But the world has passed us by. Someone snuck in and left this couple of clapped out has-beens in our place. This initiative, their methods may be causing problems, but they are getting the job done. And what am I? I'm an unemployed librarian with a tendency to get knocked on the head. <laughs> so true poor Giles he's so wise when he's drunk he's just he's finally calling himself out for always getting knocked unconscious so Ethan says you don't have to worry about that anymore when you went to the loo I slipped a small pellet of poison in your drink you'll be dead in an hour (laughs) and serious music plays for a second because we think he could because we think he could do it right and then he's just like just kidding and they laugh I love it. So Giles knows he's going to feel really sick in the morning because he's wasted. And Ethan says, enjoy it. We're still a couple of sorcerers. The night is young. Like it's still our time, a time of magic. And then they do shots. Oh, Giles. He's so vulnerable because of his headspace in this episode. He's so vulnerable to Ethan's wiles. Like he would never have put himself in this position if he wasn't feeling so low. I know. Like what's so great about Ethan is he's taking advantage of um giles in this way because it's very like we said it's very possible that he just stumbled (laughs) on giles in that crypt but you're right like he would in what world giles would you think it would be safe to go and get drunk around this guy like never this drunk this he is drunk yeah this this is a classic trope right where it's like 
this old enemy who at one point used to be your friend and you have this capability of like suspending hostilities for the night and pretending you're friends again. I, I do love this trope in fiction. And I think it, it's almost like a generational thing, right? Like nowadays we could not do this with Republicans because <laughs> uh, there, there is no honor there. There is no suspension of hostilities. It's, it's really an old school kind of thing. Yeah, it is what it is. We'll see if he regrets that or not in the morning. Uh, Willow has gotten <laughs> together with Tara in her room. We haven't seen Tara since Hush. Um, remember, Tara is a witch who Willow and her obviously ditched their women of Gaia or their, their Wicca group and they're doing things solo now. And um, I want to pause here and just think about Tara's dorm room because it's awesome. And she obviously has a single room and she decor- decorated it up real nice. It actually made me think that maybe Tara is a little bit older that cause like her room just seems more of like an older student well, I, kind of situation. I just assumed her roommate was one of the ones who left to go back home. <laughs> yeah. AKA was a victim of Sunday's vampire gang back at the beginning mm, of the year. Very possible. Very possible. So uh, good job in decorating Tara. Very cozy. Uh, Willow says we'll start out slow. <laughs> okay. Uh, they sit on the floor, join hands and close their eyes. And Tara's like, what are we doing? And Willow says, oh, we're going to float the rose, which is in front of them, and use the magics to pluck the petals off one at a time. It's a test of synchronicity. Our minds need to be perfectly attuned to work as a single delicate implement and tara's like cool and they, they and was like it's also gonna be pretty um and this scene gave me so many so much asmr feelings like i felt very calm watching them like talk softly to each other and they're gonna do something like pretty magic together i, I like this scene a lot but then wind blows and the rose in front of them floats up and so it's it's working great but then the rose starts whizzing around the room violently, kind of like the pencil used to do <laughs> in season three when Willow would float it. And um, suddenly the rose, like the petals all burn off. And they're like, what was that? Willow and Tara practicing magic together for the first time. I mean, I guess the first time was back in Hush when they worked together to throw that vending machine against the door. But like, this is a significant moment. And without going into spoilers, like... You know, I think we can see a parallel here where it's like, it's magic, yes, but it's also a deeper, more intimate connection. And it's been, you know, a couple of months, I guess, since Oz left. Willow has been very lonely, but it looks now like she's finding somebody new to connect with. And I don't know, this scene, the way they shoot it, um, the lighting on them, and the the effect of the rose and everything the like just the little bits of like the the wind blowing in their room and stuff Oof, i don't know it gives me chills watching it yeah, yeah asmr yeah, it's very romantic yeah it's very uh intimate it's very intimate um and i i like that's why i focused on willow saying we'll start out slow because like what do you ooh, could that mean <laughs> other stuff i don't know Notice how she doesn't ask what's your number how much magic have you done <laughs> <laughs> how many spells um I will say that, like, in my previous rewatches, Tara has never, you know, she never floated my boat. I was always, like, you know, indifferent to Tara, if anything. Um, But this is the second time we're meeting her. And, like, I just really love her presence. I just find it very calming and soothing. And she's got, like, a kind face. And I love looking at her on screen. So I hope we see more of her is what I'm saying. So we go to Giles's apartment. It's the next morning. Sun is streaming through his bedroom window. 
and his, his alarm, which is like the world's worst alarm goes off. It's just this constant, <laughs> it sounds like a cell phone vibrating. It's awful. And he's lying in bed. All we see is just the, the bed cover. He throws it off, goes down the stairs. And as he descends the stairs, we see a reflection in the mirror. And it's not Giles. It is a terrifying, massive, tall, <laughs> shirtless demon. He's got these big like ram horns. And what I thought was the most interesting choice from the, the costuming and makeup department, he's got like little tufts of white hair coming out <laughs> behind the horns. Like that's it's such an interesting little detail. I liked it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but he's talking, he's mumbling to himself about feeling awful because of drinking. So it's Giles's voice, but it's not Giles. And he finally notices his reflection and he just gives like a shock, like, what? And then he thinks, oh my God, it's a demon. So he punches uh, and uh, he accidentally like punches a hole in his wall. And then he grabs the the newel post on the banister and accidentally breaks that, which (laughs) I'm just thinking like, poor Giles's place. Like he must have lost his deposit several times over. I don't know if he owns or rents this place, but it seems like every second week this place gets beat up by somebody. <laughs> Giles figures yeah. it out pretty quickly. He's like, Ethan, and he growls. So he stumbles down the stairs. First instinct, make a phone call, kind of like Xander and Hush. Uh, in this case, it doesn't work because he's, again, he still doesn't know his own strength as a demon. So he grabs the phone receiver and immediately crushes it. He tries to put on his shirt. Um, <laughs> and it splits down the back into two pieces. And then he groans and he's like, Oh, I liked that shirt. <laughs> Poor Giles is not having a good morning. So he finally decides to pull a classic spike. He grabs the blanket that's conveniently hanging beside the door. And, you know, the courtesy vampire blanket <laughs> for when you have a vampire guest. Yep. Uh, he wraps it around himself, which I don't think it's going to be effective, Giles, but whatever. You're not thinking It's straight. your horns that need to be covered. <laughs> yeah. And then he heads out the door, except he kind of like, rips the door off the hinges which this is the point where i just laughed out loud like i <laughs> lost it because the whole scene is funny and it, again i think what makes this episode work for me is the fact that each scene by itself is a little bit of a masterpiece and this scene encapsulates that where it's just all the physical comedy the door coming off the hinges at the end of it is just that cherry on top and that's mm-hmm. what made me burst out laughing because, of course, you know, and then he just he doesn't do anything. He just keeps going. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, Jess. Well, what I want to correct you on real quick is it's not classic Spike. It's classic Angel who, who did the vampire under the blanket move first. Angel might have invented it, but I feel like Spike made it his own. That's fair. You know, Angel was slumming it when he did that. Spike was like, I'm going to embrace this as part of my <laughs> Yeah, Spike really <laughs> uses it as transportation. He, he really does make the most of his blankets. <laughs> Yeah, at first I actually you know what I did when I saw him grab that blanket. I was like, was that Spike's blanket? And I went back to Pangs to double check and it was not. Spike had a ratty like brown blanket. This is a nice one, like probably that Giles got on his travel somewhere. Um, so yeah, so he runs out. Buffy and Will are having breakfast together, which is really cute. A little, little breakfast friend date. And Buffy is so happy. She's like, I like pancakes because they're stackable and waffles because you can put things in little holes. And like Willow says, like, you should always have a new boyfriend. You're so much fun right now. 
<laughs> and Bobby says, um, I didn't hear you come in last night. Where were you? And Willow lies, lies. And she says that she was at the chem lab by herself. And isn't it so interesting that she's keeping Tara a secret? And I don't know if she'll explain that later or not, but like, is that, it's just interesting because just like Buffy mm-hmm. didn't tell Giles right away about Riley, for some reason, Willow's keeping her new friend a secret as well. I noticed that too. I think right? it's it's Willow. Willow is recognizing that there's something very special about how she feels about Tara and not that it's quite like shameful for her, but I think she's nervous because again, she is still technically grieving Oz. And she might feel self-conscious to show that she's entering a different stage of that grieving process, right? Because yes, her friends want her to quote unquote, move on and be happy. But from what I understand, uh, when you go through something as sort of a traumatic as that kind of breakup, you reach a point where it's like, you're almost reluctant to admit that you've reached that next stage of kind of moving on to making these new connections, forming new relationships because it means that it really is over. And so I don't know if Willow's willing to admit that to Buffy or even to herself at this point. Good point. And um, shout out to Oz. We miss you. <laughs> yeah, so so Willow lies and um, Buffy has no idea. But Willow does say that like she tried the rose thing by herself and she tells her what happened and she's guessing that something's out there, like some sort of presence, a dark magic energy blocking the spell. And it's like a new energy and it's done by someone pretty powerful. And Buffy's like, well, I'll tell Giles about it. Or maybe I'll tell Maggie. She seemed pretty interested in learning the mystical side. Maggie? Right. They're on a first name basis now? <laughs> Maybe I'll tell mom. <laughs> Stepmom. Stepmom. Sorry. Never never forget Joyce. Giles is her real dad, but Joyce is her real mom. It's true. Very true. Okay, good. We should write it down so you remember always. Uh, Willow sa- uh, says, tell Giles. <laughs> she's, he's like, she's like, he's feeling a little hurt right now. How come you never told him about Riley being a commando? And Buffy's like, I didn't. And Willow says he's feeling neglected and out of the group. And Buffy, like, she gives her excuses and basically basically just says, like, oh, I just, I forgot that he didn't know. And she'll make it up to him when she sees him tomorrow because she's spending the day with Riley. And I do, I, like, I do think it's odd that Buffy didn't tell Giles. Usually she runs to Daddy Giles immediately to tell him these things. But I kind of want to cut Buffy a little bit of slack here, too, because sometimes, sometimes it's like if, if everyone knows you just assume that the everyone will tell everybody, right? And they have a small friend group. So sometimes I'm, I don't know why I'm cutting her a little slack here. I'm just like, maybe she just figured Xander or Willow would, would tell him too, because they spend time with him too. Sometimes Xander works for Giles. So I don't know. Buffy says that things are going really well with Riley. She kicked him across the room last night, though. Uh, She says that we were sparring and he said not to hold back. And he's a little dented, but I think he's okay with it. Like, I think he's he's okay with it. And Willow says, I'm sure he is. And she's like, "Um, if he's not, you had to do it. He's right. You can't walk around pretending you're less than you are. It wouldn't be right for you to hold back. Thank you, Willow. That's like great advice. Good friend. Good friend. Um, and Buffy says she held back a little. And again, I was like, Buffy, don't hold back for that man. Don't hold back for any man. 
Demon Giles has entered Xander's basement, and this made me laugh out loud because he's like judging Xander for being in bed still at ten thirty a.m. He's, he's like, he's still <laughs> incredibly salty from last night. It's like it's ten thirty in the morning. <laughs> like he's like judging Xander, but I was like, okay, Giles, I don't know how far Xander lives from you, but it can't be that far. So the idea that you got there at ten thirty in the morning means you probably woke up at about. 9.45 and then headed straight over there. So don't judge. Um, but he was hungover. So there you go. He's trying to gently wake Xander up. And he's like, you know, when you, when you look at me, you may be a little alarmed, but there's no need. It's me. Like, he's being very gentle. And he's like, Ethan has turned me into demon. I need your help. And Xander's like, mom. And he's like focusing in on on him. And then when he sees it as a demon, what we hear Giles explaining, what he hears, what, what Xander hears is like, <laughs> like, like demon speak. <laughs> and Xander jumps out of bed. He's like, oh my God. And Giles is like, don't you understand me? But all he hears is, <laughs> so Xander, Xander is like, demon, demon. He starts throwing plates at him. <laughs> Which- and- Okay, on the one hand, I do think Xander's reaction is very reasonable. On the other hand, it just, it feels very odd to me because it's like Xander has seen a lot of demons before. He's never once shouted demon, demon at them. Like... <laughs> this is the cutest scene. I, But how can you not just, how could you be afraid of that demon? Giles was doing the perfect soothing demon voice. I've never been more comforted by tones. Like he was so sweet and so, you know, reading a fairy tale. Demon ASMR for Kendara. <laughs> oh, so cute. Yeah, yeah, it was very what, cute. What makes this scene for me is Giles is standing underneath a laundry clothesline <laughs> where somebody, <laughs> maybe Xander, has washed his whites, including his tiny whiteies, which are like, <laughs> like Giles's horns are like rubbing up against that underwear while he's like, you know, having things thrown at him by Xander and stuff. And I'm just like, uh, again, it's it's the physicality, the physical comedy in this episode is so good. Nice work, set designers. That was just <laughs> an excellent little detail. Yeah. So Giles gives up. He runs outside and he tramples this little kid's like toys and stuff. And the mom like grabs, she called 911 and she grabs her child. And Giles is like, bloody humans. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what the hell Giles did all day because that was 10 30 a.m in the morning and now we're cutting to nighttime and i don't know what they were all doing all day but xander buffy and willow and anya are walking giles's place as xander describes what happened with the demon to buffy and they notice that the apartment's all smashed up and that giles is missing and buffy's like okay so there's a demon and giles is gone but that doesn't mean he's hurt there's no blood anywhere so maybe the demon just took him somewhere and i was like that's super perceptive of you buffy like you've grown so much it's awesome that's when Anya grabs the ripped up shirt and says, I think it ate him up. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, so here's what I mean. Giles is wandering the cemetery. He's still got the blanket. And it's just like, I guess he's been in the cemetery all day. He walks by Spike, who has been measuring this crypt nearby, like checking out the square foot <laughs> of this crypt um, with a tape measure. And Spike's like, well, what do I spy with my little eye? A demon that would be, oh, right. Things I can kill. (laughs) And Giles says, Spike, wonderful. The perfect end to a perfect day. And he said it like sarcastically, like obviously he knows that people can't understand him. And Spike says, Giles? (laughs) 
And Giles is like, you can understand me. I'm speaking English. And Spike's like, no, you're speaking Fioral. I happen to speak Fioral. <laughs> this made me laugh because why? <laughs> like, why can Spike speak Fioral? Oh, no, I have a theory about this because we know that Drusilla <laughs> left Spike for a chaos demon. Oh. So I think sometime in the past, Drusilla left Spike for a Fioral demon. <laughs> and so he was like, oh, so I'm not good enough for you. So he like had to learn Fiaro. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I also think it's funny that Spike, just from Giles saying Spike, wonderful, that that Spike knew that it was Giles. Well, they did live together for a while. <laughs> they were roommates. Um, my thinking was like, okay, so just because Spike can speak Fiaro doesn't mean he's not hearing the... <laughs> That's what he's hearing. But somehow he, he hears Giles' voice. Like it's, it's just funny to me. So he's asking, like, how did you how did this happen? And Giles is like, Ethan Rain, like, you have to help me find him. He, he has to undo this. And then he needs a good being killed. And Spike's like, I'm supposed to help you out of the evilness of my heart. And Giles is like, you help me and I don't kill you. And Spike's like, that's not that's not believable. And Giles says, I can pay you money. And Spike's like, I like money. Yeah, he like lights up. His entire demeanor changes on a dime. Again, James Marsters, thank you so much. And this is why I love Spike in this episode, because he's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how much? And Jazz is like, 100 bucks. And Jazz, Spike is like, you'll have to do a lot better than that. And Jazz is like, 200. And Spike's like, all right, then. <laughs> like, 200 Again, was the magic number. Money, go, money goes further back then, right? So $200 probably would have lasted Spike for a while, unlike today. Right? It, well, it could get him a better crypt, is what he's thinking, like a, a powered crypt. So um, he's like, what's first? Do I, do I run and tell the Slayer that you've got what you've gotten yourself into? And interestingly enough, Giles says no. He's like, when I find Ethan, I'll clear this up without Buffy ever having to find out what happened. And I think it's interesting of Giles. Like, he must not be thinking clearly. His, his fioral demon brain is taking over because I'm like, it's been all day. Don't you think Xander would have told Buffy like, what happened? Right, but she doesn't know that Giles is the demon, right? So, mm -hmm. But G Giles is embarrassed. You know, he got himself into this mess by letting his guard down around Ethan Rain. He should have listened True. to Kandara, right? Like, not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and he's been feeling really just, like, out of the loop and useless this whole episode. I mean, he can't admit now that those feelings were justified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they, yes, I see what you're saying now. Um, so at Giles's place, the Scoobies are trying to are researching, and it's going nowhere. And uh, Wonderbread Riley shows up. He's just he's like, oh, I um, you know, been tapping into the nine one one calls, and there are a lot of calls from this area. Uh, so I came to check it out. And um, Buffy says that this is Giles's apartment. And he's missing, and Riley's like, uh, he, neighbors heard growling and things breaking. It sounded like a struggle. And I was like, then why isn't this place swarming? with police if neighbors heard all the commotion that Giles was making earlier. Oh, bless the Sunnydale PD. They're never where you don't need them. Like They're deeply stupid, says Snyder. Um, <laughs> but like then again, how often have these neighbors heard these same noises coming from Giles' apartment like so many times? <laughs> so Buffy's sad and worried. Riley tells her he's going to help her. He's like, you have the whole initiative behind you, like whatever you need. And Buffy says she doesn't know what she needs and she keeps wanting to ask Giles, but she then she remembers he's gone. And Xander's like, oh, he'd be, he'd be great right now. Like he'd find himself in a second. Nobody is cooler in a crisis. And then cut to Giles, who's freaking out at Spike for who's driving his like <laughs> disgusting car. And he's like... 
<laughs> shouting at him. And Spike is like saying to, to Giles that he had Fiaral demons working for him once. And they're all like, like to crush, crush now. <laughs> yeah, because Giles uses like a longer word. I don't remember which word it was, right? And Spike's like, it, it's weird hearing that word come out of a Fiaral demon's mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he says, um, Fiaral demons, like they're strong and you, you, you know, you'll, you'll never meet a jar that you can't open for the rest of your life when they're around. And um, this just reminded me, and this is something that uh, Kara and I have been discussing pretty frequently since season two since we met spike is that spike's like a manager he loves having minions he loves having people work under him where other Mm -hmm. villains such as angel for example prefer to work alone because they're they're up to other stuff but it's clear that spike loves being a manager he likes getting people to work for him and it's funny that he would have hired a bunch he's saying uh, he used to have a lot of fioral demons working for him for something um which is probably how drusilla met one and then you know, had her affair. So Giles growls and Spike notices that and points it out. And Giles is like, do Fiaro demons have special powers? Like, can I set things on fire with my sizzling eye beams? And Spike says that they have paralyzing mucus. (laughs) He said it shoots out through the nose and then it's like hard as rock. So it's pretty good in a fight. And um, Giles is like, are you making it up? Because it does sound like he's making it up. And Spike says, maybe, but if you feel sneeze coming on, warn me. Giles like angrily is like, turn here. And Spike's like, calm down, will you? And Giles is like, I can't. Like, I feel like I'm changing. And he's like, I've got this pointless need to destroy this anger and rage. And Spike's like, good times. Go with it. (laughs) He's like, it's fun. I I can't do it. Do it for me. Let yourself go. Like He's encouraging it. And, and again, this is like you said earlier, Spike is back in form in this episode. He is yeah. evil. He loves being evil. And, you know, he relishes not so much in the chaos as I think the pleasure of it. You know, Spike consumes these kinds of things like other people consume like fine wine. Yeah. Well, he's like his rebel spirit, right? <laughs> his punk rock spirit. Giles says he refuses to become a monster because he looks like a monster. He's like, I have a soul, a conscious. I'm a human being. Stop the car. And then they stop the car. And Giles takes this opportunity to chase Maggie Walsh, who happens to be walking by that coffee shop area. And he like chases her down the street and then gets back into the car and they take off. Well, and she like screams her head off, right? Just like yeah, when she was being chased by the werewolf before. Again, it's <laughs> yeah. interesting to see how she's in charge of the initiative, but she she clearly hasn't like She's around demons all day, but when she gets surprised by one, she she loses her cool. That was such a gleeful moment for Giles. Like, I'm yeah. so happy that he had that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's going fioral, you know, so really he could have gone with his baser instincts and, you know, crushed. But instead, <laughs> he just like waves his arm and chases her down at half speed and then gets back at the car. So... Well, he can get away with it, right? Nobody will know. (laughs) Although it might be awkward if later on when Riley finds out that Giles was the demon, because remember, he gets a call about it. Mm. Does he tell Professor Walsh what happened? I'm sure she knows. That's a good point. Oh, cringe. But that's another thing, too. It's like, it's funny, and like, we know why he did it, and it it is very comical, but at the same time, it's like, why? Like, why why do you hate her so much (laughs) automatically, Giles? You're the one that started this. Like, she didn't know who you were. (laughs) He, He doesn't hate her. She is just a convenient target for all of his pent up mm. like dissatisfaction and and you know 
if I can get all therapisty for a moment, I think he's projecting. He's uh, he's actually hating himself right now. Even worse for him than to chase this woman down the street and terrify her for no reason other than to project his own insecurities onto her. So that I laugh, I laugh, but I just have to point it out that that's something about Giles in this episode that bothered me. Amazingly, Xander has found a picture of the Fioral Demon in this research in the books. And uh, Willow says that it's a foot soldier, uh, very strong, and mucus. So it's true. They do have mucus powers. <laughs> she says you have to kill it with a weapon made of silver. And uh, Riley gets a call on his cell phone. He's got a cell phone. He tells the group that the demon, at de- the demon attacked Professor Walsh and it got out of a small gray car. And they're like, why would a demon steal a car? And Anya says, why would a demon steal that car? <laughs> and um, Buffy says, a demon that steals a car has a reason, a purpose, but it doesn't sound like these fioral demons are big independent thinkers. So... She asks Willow if um, the spell that her if her spell that went wrong could have been caused by someone using magics to control this demon. And Willow agrees, like, yep, she's like, that would be dark energy. So Buffy tells Willow and Xander to stay in case the person controlling the demon calls and asks for a ransom. Give them anything they want, she says. And then um, my thing was, though, that's a bad idea because... Giles broke the phone. So there's no way for them to get a call at this place. Whatever. Um, Buffy and Riley are going to go to the magic shop to see if this person needed supplies for the dark magics. And um, Buffy grabs a letter opener because she thinks that it's silver. And she's like, this is going to be my weapon. I'm going to put force behind it. Well, because Riley criticizes it for not being big enough. (laughs) Oh, Riley. Oh, Riley. size. Um, can we just pause for a moment? This is a significant scene because Riley is getting to see the Scoobies work together. In Doomed, we saw, we, we had the interspliced scenes of Riley and the Commandos working together on the, the problem and Buffy and the Scoobies working together on the plot problem. This is the first time he's in the room with them. He's actually seeing them operate. He's seeing how Buffy gathers input from each member of the group and then she makes her decision. And he sees that Willow is confident in her knowledge of magic and Xander is confident in his ability to turn the page until he finds a picture. And, (laughs) you know, Anya is confident in her ability to say the obvious, like they all play a role is what I'm saying. And (laughs) Riley's finally getting to observe how Buffy and the Scoobies work and are so effective against these threats. Yeah. And, uh, his little brain is still trying to compute that Buffy has strength while this is all going on. True. <laughs> so it's, um, that's a lot for Riley. To, this is a, a lot for Riley. Since the end of Hush, he has been struggling. So at the pub from the night before, uh, Spike has brought Giles there, who's like just lurking in the corner. Um, <laughs> Spike is flirting with the waitress that Ethan was flirting with to get information because remember, Ethan gave her um, her his info and uh, she says she threw it away because she realized that he was staying at the rat trap by the highway the Sunnydale motor in and I was like that's where Faith stayed <laughs> like how dare you and I also want to add because Spike flirts really well he gets the information he needs from her he's very good at this obviously he cannot no longer hurt humans to get information so he's found a way to use his charm and his looks and I just want to point out that this waitress looks about Joyce's age so you know, it looks like 
Spike is very comfortable with flirting with women who are older. And this is adding to my theory that he might be in love with Joyce overall. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh, I had not heard that theory. Oh, well, I'm building it. Um, he does. He does such a great job in this scene. Like, I think that waitress would have given him his, her social security number. He <laughs> deployed all the cheekbones. Just... So smarmy, but so convincing. Right? He, I mean, he flirted with this waitress who looks to be in her like 40s, I guess, but like she ate it up. Cougar bait. Cougar bait. Exactly. Exactly. So let's keep our eye on that. (laughs) That's my theory. So, all right. So we leave Spike and his, uh, his older woman, lover uh and we go to buffy who has broken into the magic shop and riley scolds her he's like you know you didn't have to break the door i have a master key that opens every shop on main street and i was like riley like tell her that in the car then like like before she breaks in come on riley (laughs) she doesn't say anything right and it's also like oh you have a master key for every shop on main street like that's just a thing, apparently. Yeah, it's. I don't know. Sure, um, Buffy found the receipt for Ethan Rain right away. <laughs> like, wow! I think it's just a, it's a testament to the Magic Box owners' organization, right? Like yeah. everything is right there. It's nicely alphabetized by name and date mm-hmm. and everything. And mm-hmm. you know, that's really the owner. You know, props to you because if they if all the receipts were just jumbled in a box, Buffy and Riley would have been there all night. Seriously, seriously. So. Riley jumps on the phone and he gets his army guys to search the local hotel registrations for the name Ethan Rain. Ethan, use a different name. <laughs> like it, Ethan Rain's a great name. Don't get me wrong, but like you're a wanted man in this town, so just use like any other name. Uh, Scott Hope, like just any other name would have worked. <laughs> he tells Buffy that they'll get back to him in a couple minutes, and Buffy's like, "Okay, let's go wait in the car, um, so we're ready to go when they come when they." call back and Riley tells her ooh ah ee, like Professor Walsh gave me very specific orders uh, she said when we locate the demon I'm not supposed to bring you along and Buffy's like oh and turns to go to the car and Riley's like I can't take you with me and I was like oh sweet simple Riley as if you think for one second that Buffy is the one going with you <laughs> like you've been going with Buffy since you arrived at Giles's house and Buffy says it right she's like you're not taking me with you I'm going and letting you come along Riley says it's not really your call like this is a military operation now and Buffy's like then call out the troops because nothing less than that is going to stop me this demon did something to Giles and I'm going to kill it and she goes and Riley's conflicted but he follows once again Riley doesn't get it yet like he hasn't figured it out that you're not in charge here, buddy. Buffy is in charge. And Buffy has strength, don't forget. <laughs> Buffy's strong. To his credit, though, he does take it really well. Like, mm. there's not a whole lot of back and mm. forth on that. He's like, okay, so you're setting the foot down, and we'll go now together. It's fine. <laughs> he does not argue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, like the girls in my Iowa town also would <laughs> make demands like this. So he's used to it. He's bringing it back to the girls in Iowa. <laughs> Uh, so Giles is telling Spike in the car that he feels like snapping necks until everyone's dead. <laughs> and Spike says, yep, 
That sounds like a feral demon. He notices that they are being followed now by military cars and like Spike can't go any faster in the car. <laughs> he's, he's already going as fast as it can go and it's a beat up thing. And Giles says, like, do something. If they catch us, we'll both end up in the lab. And then Giles' suggestion is to slow down so that Giles can jump out, like roll out the car and then they'll follow Spike. And Spike says, well, hold on. These commandos are after me too. Maybe I want you around to split their attention, <laughs> which is so true and giles says i'll pay you another hundred dollars and then cut to giles rolling out of the car (laughs) again giles has figured out how to motivate spike very you know astute of him yeah oh that's so funny so the military guys continue following spike um we cut to the hotel room where um ethan is packing and the first thought in my mind when i saw the scene was just like why are you still here ethan you should have taken off but he explains that later So when Giles crashes through the door, (laughs) growling, um, he grabs Ethan and Ethan is panicking now. And he's like, I can't undo it if you kill me. And Giles doesn't care. He throws him across the room, uh, which surely would have killed him. And just as Buffy and Riley are entering the room, Ethan says to Buffy, you've got to stop it. It's killed Ripper. And now it's trying to get me. And Buffy tells Riley not to let Ethan go as she starts to fight Giles. And she's like, what did you do to him? (laughs) I like that she's learning that you have to give Riley very clear and simple directions. <laughs> Don't let him go. <laughs> I strong. Buffy fight. <laughs> so um, Spike is racing the military cars and he, I don't know how he did it. There's only six streets in Sunnydale, but he did it. He confused them enough that they, they, they stopped chasing him um, or they get into like a little minor accident themselves or they, they get caught up. I don't know. Car, car chase stuff. Um Spike is driving away and he's getting gloaty and he's like, oh yeah, like you just try and stop me, you stupid jarhead. And then he crashes Giles's car into a wall. Construction material falls on top of the car. And that's the last time we see Spike this episode. We assume he survived that. <laughs> Spike is probably better at nighttime driving than the rest of these drivers because he had to learn how to drive at nighttime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Spike is his own foil. I love it. Like everything's going so well for him until he does something to himself. It's great. Yeah, he really deals himself his own reversals. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he'll also say that he's used to driving cars with a very small little peephole made of like the mud smeared all over the car. And so you'd think he would do a better job when he gets the whole window to look through, but he crashed it. He crashed oh my it. God. That's such a good point. He should be so much better at this. Right. right? <laughs> well, he got gloaty. That's his problem, right? So he, he crashed it looks like a pretty devastating crash we assume he survives so um ethan is trying to escape but riley manages to pin him down and buffy's beating on giles and eventually she gets him on the ground and she's on top of him and she's like this is for giles and giles is like who me but it's like (laughs) and then she stabs him and his eyes like widen and Buffy immediately is like, oh, God, Giles, like, I'm so sorry. Please don't die. And um, Giles is saying to himself, like, oh, I feel quite well, except for the rage. And Buffy uh, doesn't understand this, of course, but she notices that he's OK. And she's like, OK, I think he's going to be OK. And then she like looks at the letter opener and she's just like, is this thing real silver? <laughs> you know, Giles saved his own life, essentially, right? By cheaping out on his letter opener. <laughs> oh. That was so cute. Of course, my favorite part of this entire exchange is that Ethan Rain almost manages to kick Riley's ass, and yet somehow at the beginning of this episode, Riley thought he could take Buffy. Like, oh you my can't god! Be Ethan 
great. Thank you. I was going to bring that up. Great point. Great point. You're right. It's a very extended fight sequence. And I'm just like, Riley, are you just getting progressively worse this whole episode? (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So... Some time passes. I don't know how long it takes to do a reversal spell, but like could be an hour, could be two. But Ethan is sitting in front of the steaming circle of witch stuff. And um, he's saying, this is where he just explains. He's like, I really have to learn to just do the damage, then get out of town. It's the stay and gloat that gets me every time. <laughs> it's like the bend and snap. It works every time, but in the wrong way. <laughs> It's very like, it's very parallel to Spike, you know, like they both have gloating problems, gets them into trouble. Right. Their egos. It's a classic villain. You know, they're both English. Like they're, they're coming from that old school villain, you know, it's, <laughs> Mentality. Very, it's similar to the mayor or the master, you know, all of these villains, this is their downfall is they talk too much. I know. But the, the what I like about the mayor, the mayor would oversee stuff, but he was usually like pl- booking meetings with his secretary. Like he was always in the background, just be like, yeah, yeah, like they're, they're doing it. But he's like, you know, making moves on the other side. (laughs) So um, Giles is back to himself um, and he's wearing Ethan's silver shirt. And I don't hate it. I'm not going to lie. Like he says to Buffy that he's embarrassed by it. But I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't mind it on you, Giles. And he says that he's embarrassed. And how did you know it was me? And Buffy says, your eyes. You're the only person in the world who can look that annoyed with me. So they've made up. Um, Ethan says, is this going to, is this going to go on much longer? I'd rather like to get going. And Buffy's like, well, why would I let you go? And Ethan says, you have no choice. I'm human. You can't kill me. What's a slayer going to do to me? And then that's when the military enters and they put Ethan in handcuffs and Riley gets his whole, like, by the authority of the U.S. military, you've been taken into custody pending determination on your status. And they leave. And Riley lets it drop that, like, where they're taking him is a secret detention facility in the Nevada desert. And they'll rehabilitate him in no time. Like they were going to rehabilitate Marcy from out of sight, out of mind. Ooh. Or out of mind, out of sight. We'll tap into his mystic abilities. Also, just to note, for being so Captain America, Riley is very uh, cool with the lack of due process here that is happening. <laughs> yes. They are taking Ethan Rain to Demon Gitmo and he doesn't seem to care. Yeah. Yeah. And normally I'm not a fan of that kind of thing, but I'll make an exception for Ethan Rain. For Ethan Rain. <laughs> <laughs> for the well, chaos. It, it, it is, this is a core problem of this show. And we have talked about this before where, you know, what do we do with the humans like Ethan Rain or Faith, Gwendolyn Post, right? What do we do with these people that Buffy cannot kill? Because apparently it's okay to kill demons and not humans. And it's a very black and white. Or like Veruca, the werewolf, right? Like it was okay to kill her. The writers always have to find an interesting way to write out this threat and deal with it in a way that preserves Buffy's moral sanctity. And Ethan also brought up something that we brought up earlier, right? Like, how did he get away from band candy, right? Well, it's possible they just let him go because what can they do, right? So here he's like thinking it's going to happen again. And it's like, nah, like you're going to prison. Uh, But apparently they're going to rehabilitate him. They're going to like, you know help him get a real job and then send him back out into well, the wild. I don't know. That's the spinoff now. He's going to be uh, paired up with uh, an agent that's recently, you know, come back from an injury or something. And uh, so, you know, he's going to be like working for the good guys, right? Kind of like Blacklist or something. <laughs> I'd watch that. Um, so Giles goes to watch the manhandle Ethan into the vehicle. Um, and I'm not convinced that he's not turned on by it. <laughs> <laughs> so Buffy thanks Riley 
Because if they had gotten there any later, Giles would have killed Ethan and she would have never gotten Giles back. And Riley says, um, you'd find some other way. You're really strong. Like Spider-Man strong. Like, Why does he choose that character of any character? Well, there are women superheroes you could have chosen, Riley. <laughs> but Spider-Man is really strong. I will give him that. But again, she told you like in the first scene of this whole thing that she was strong <laughs> he still doesn't get he's it he's still processing <laughs> well he knew from hush right it's been two episodes now it's been several months and he's still just like oh like it's just finally clicking in his himbo brain i'm fully on board with riley as a himbo now i've changed my mind <laughs> this is the thing like i like that buffy says i don't stick to stuff <laughs> which made me laugh so Riley says, you're in charge. Make the plan. Execute the plan. No one's giving you orders. And remember, this is something that Riley said in a previous episode. Uh, I don't remember which one it was, but he was saying very much like that's what, oh, when he was trying, I think it was the initiative when he was trying to tell uh, Willow why he, it was weird for him to to fail at hitting on Buffy because he's like, I make the plan. I execute the plan. Like that's that's the person I am. So he's like, finally seeing Buffy like as an equal he's like oh she's like me in this way and Buffy says I'm the slayer and Riley says I like it but give me another week to get ready and I'll take you down <laughs> smiles all around these two are in a relationship <laughs> Ruffy fans rejoice so Buffy's at Giles the next morning, I'm guessing, or maybe a day or two later, and he's in, he's installing a brand new phone, and he says, like, if anyone has any information I need to know, they can simply tell me through it about it through this ingenious speaking tube. And Buffy is apologizing, right? She's like, you know, it won't happen again. I'm sorry I didn't tell you about Riley. And uh, Giles is telling her, like, I don't want you to betray any confidences, and I certainly don't want to interfere. And Buffy's like, uh-oh, you have butt face. <laughs> <laughs> and Giles looks confused. She's like, oh, like you look like you're going to say, but. And Giles gives his concern about the initiative. And he's like, Ethan's not a reliable source, but I'm not sure he was wrong about them. And Buffy reminds him, I'm not dating the initiative. I'm dating Riley and he's a good guy. And Giles is like, yeah, yeah, sure. But he's part of something that we don't really understand. And Buffy's like, you're saying that because you don't like Riley's boss. <laughs> and Giles agrees. But he wants Buffy to have a personal life. But keep your eyes open and make sure you know what you're getting into. So that's fair advice. Good for you. At the initiative, Walsh in, and Riley are having a walk and talk. And... Um, Walsh is saying like, oh, like she walks into your life and the rules suddenly break and careful with her. She acts on instinct. There's no discipline there. Her loyalties are uncertain. And I was like, wow, like you sound a lot like the Watcher's Council here. <laughs> like Walsh, <laughs> right? Like we need to control the Slayer. Um, Riley says you won't be disappointed in her. She's good at what she does. She is the truest soul I've ever known. <laughs> oh my. Um, Walsh laughs at that. As we all did. Yeah. Riley's in deep. <laughs> right. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> like spontaneous poetic exclamations. Lord spare me. College boys in love. And um, if only she had heard him say back in something blue when when he like put his hand on Buffy's shoulder and was like, you're going to teach me. <laughs> Riley has the worst Poor lines. Riley was just born several hundred years too late. Right. He should have been a squire. <laughs> Okay, but those lines would have worked in Iowa. They were working for him in Iowa. And it's just, it's not Iowa anymore. Were they? We have no proof of that stuff. I think you're being very generous. <laughs> All I think about is that he's killed 17 demons. And that's 
that's experience. <laughs> so, um, okay. So Riley says, all I'm saying is she'll work out. You'll be proud of her. And Walsh is like, you're probably right. And Riley leaves his mom figure. And Walsh uses her car to open the door to restricted area in the initiative. And once she's inside, uh, she walks into a room and the room is numbered 314. <gasps> Ooh. And I wanted to add here that, um, in Mandarin speaking regions in China um, that has carried over into Chinese Canadian culture as well. The number 14 is incredibly unlucky. It sounds very familiar to the word death in Mm. Mandarin. So when I saw the 14, I was like, Ooh, because like um, in China, like they don't even number their floors 14. It's like 13 superstition here. Um, or Or like weddings, we won't have table 14. Like it's just not a thing. So, so do you think Walsh knew this and is doing that on purpose? <laughs> yeah, because she's maybe she's evil. <laughs> she's an evil genius. Well, perhaps. she's an authority figure. So yeah, that's yeah. already a strike against her. Like, have we met a good authority figure other than Giles in the show? Mm-hmm. There was that one teacher who was helpful to Buffy and then got eaten by the bug lady. Oh, True. sure. Professor Gregory. Uh, he, yeah, Professor like, Gregory. They don't yeah. survive very long. Yeah. Uh, Jenny. Jenny. I don't know if I'd say she's an authority figure. She's very counterculture. True. No, I guess there are not. <laughs> just, <laughs> too, that's what I say again. I, it, it, this kind of reminded me because obviously Walsh is not going to be our girl, even though I did kind of side with her in this episode. It would have been nice overall for Buffy to have had a female mentor, um, a woman mentor in some capacity. Maybe she will in the future, maybe not, or maybe she'll become one, who knows, but it would have been nice. I just want to note that I really like the actress who plays uh, Professor Walsh. I think Lindsay Krauss, I think. Mm. like She is so good at, especially when she talks to Riley, like just at the end of this episode where she laughs and she shows like a very genuine emotion. Like that's the first time you can really believe like, you know, she is kind of like a mom to him and she does actually care about this kid. And it's, you never see her soft fun side. And that's the first time you kind of suspect that she even has one. But it's nice. I liked her in that moment. And I even believed her. I believe that she thought that it would work out with Buffy. Yeah. And you know, up until now, I've never disliked her. I, I think she's supposed to come off as like harsh and like, like we, we were making fun of her for being really intense about her um, class list, <laughs> like monitoring her first years when they come in and out of her class. But overall, like I, I've, I have respect for her as a character. And like, you're right to see this warmer side that obviously she treats Riley a little bit different than the other people or the other initiative members. So it is nice to see. And she does do a really good job. And what a great haircut. <laughs> One I could never pull off. <laughs> All right, so who's your hero? I'm going to go with... It's hard, right? I I put group yeah. effort. I put group effort. I think everyone tried to search for Giles. I'm, I'm going to say Buffy. It's got to be Buffy because she recognizes Giles, right? It's the eyes. Like, that's significant to me. But I agree, it was a group effort. You know, Xander did turn a lot of pages that night. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> Riley made a lot of phone calls. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard, this one. I, you, you know, even Spike. You, we could give it to Spike for the first time ever because... Spike was being paid. 
I did think about that. I almost I almost said Spike, but he was being paid. That's not heroic. True, it's not heroic, but he did facilitate Giles' half of the storyline for the entire back half of the episode. If not for his driving, Giles would have been nowhere. If not for his schmoozing, we would have had no idea where to go to find Ethan. I mean... He was very, he was very uh, a helpful henchman. He's, in this he's competent. Yeah, that's true. So is that who you choose, Kendara? I mean, I guess. I mean, it doesn't really count because he he's not doing it. He's just out of the evilness of his heart. But at <laughs> least he didn't mess it up until after his role was finished. Like our heroes were all fine before he crashed the Citroen. You know, so, yeah, <laughs> I think he earned his, uh, well, what would it be? $400? Did he say double or 100? No, 100 more. So $300. He's earned $300 after today. It's pretty good. Well, then sure. he might have yeah. died in that car crash. Well, does Giles <laughs> ever pay him? Do we ever find out? Oh, I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out if he did or not. I'm sure he would. Giles is good for his word, and he's obviously very rich and could just throw cash around like this. Um, let's cut to our hot stakes. We've got two today. Uh, the first one is from Jess, who wrote in about Willow and Anya. And Jess says, uh, I believe you've had other points uh, others point out that perhaps some members of the Scoobies are neurodivergent. As an autistic woman, I have I have always connected the most to Anya, seeing her as autistic. She's often seen as blunt or harsh. She asks questions when she doesn't understand something and is rebuffed. And she approaches her life uh, trying her best to navigate social rules that aren't instinctive to her. It is only after listening to your podcast that I've wondered if Willow is also on the spectrum. Some folks who have ha- who have been forced to mask their disability develop a deep anger and frustration to those who don't mask. And I think that Willow is ableist, which may be internalized ableism if she is neurodivergent. And Anya angers her so because... And Anya angers her because Anya isn't playing by the same rules that Willow has learned to play by, probably at great emotional cost to herself. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about this whole idea of Willow possibly being neurodivergent or autistic coded. It's interesting to me because we've had this conversation about almost every character at this point, right? <laughs> People are like, Xander's autistic, Cordelia's autistic, Anya's autistic, Willow's autistic. And I think that just speaks to the fact that when you have a really strong ensemble show like this, people can see themselves represented in various characters in various ways, right? Um, And unfortunately, Buffy comes from a time when things like neurodivergence were not recognized and autistic characters, if they were portrayed at all, were portrayed as the butts of jokes or as, you know, stereotypes that are not true to life. So I think it's great that we can at least read into, um, you know, if these are unintentional codings here, we can at least read into them like we have with other characters and other identities in the past. Um, And whether or not we think Willow might be autistic, I think that your point about her ableism is correct. You know, I, I think Willow has a great deal of privilege growing up um, in Sunnydale. You know, her parents are academics pretty well off. She's very smart. Like, yes, she got bullied in high school, but she's never had to worry about, you know, uh, her, her like where her her roof over her head, where she's going to university. Like she knew that she would be successful in her path in life. 
Um, where, whereas Anya, once she becomes mortal again, right, she has no idea what she's going to do. We still don't know what she's doing in terms of like, how is she spending her days? How does she get money for her clothes? Where does she live? Like, we still don't know these things. Um, and Willow has very little sympathy for that. Yeah. I wonder if we're ever going to find out a, like where Anya's staying and all that stuff. We had a, a, a lot of people write in on Instagram to come up with ideas of how she kept her money. The biggest one is that she plays the stock market. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I want to see Anya more, more part of the Scoobies moving forward. Because even in this episode, do you notice that like Buffy said, Xander Willow, you stay here and me and Riley will go to the magic shop. She didn't even include Anya in any of those plans. I think she just assumed Anya would stay with Xander. And you're right. Like, we don't really see Anya as a separate member of the Scoobies yet. She is part of Xander. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's an interesting take. And we'll definitely keep our eye on it as we keep going. And when when we notice these things, we can definitely point them out. Our last hot stake is from Brittany, who wanted to comment about De Hoffren from Something Blue. Uh, Brittany says, your opinions on DeHoffrin are so interesting. So, Steph, you and I commented on how, like, he's really good at his job. He's clearly in charge. And we called him a feminist because, (laughs) uh, you know, he accepts no. He listens to Willow. And when she says no, he accepts that. He's like, okay, you know, if you change your mind, give us a chant on my talisman. But I'm not going to pressure you into anything. And after everything that Willow and many of the other female characters on the show have been through, I thought that was good. Yes. So um, Brittany goes on to say, I have to say, I've always viewed him as being very mare-esque. And I think Buffy does a really good job of characters, of villains like that. Witty and charming on the surface level, but in reality, actually very sinister. I picture him as more of a trafficker, exploiting women when they are most vulnerable and exploiting their feminine rage for his own business. His disregard for Anya shows his lack of real care. But also, your point is really interesting. And fuck the patriarchy. So I'll take it too. Uh, I'd have a drink with DeHoffman for sure. Well, this is the funny thing, too, because I think Brittany's right. I think that's exactly oh, what DeHoffrin yeah. is because he's a demon and like, yeah, like he's he's evil and he's got these intentions. Um, but that's also the joy of rewatching a show like this and having a, um, a platform like ours is that we made the choice and it's our opinion to look at him as a feminist. So <laughs> is DeHoffrin even more of a self-insert than Xander because he's like feminist on the outside but evil on the inside? Ooh. I, I think this... It is. It's really great that um, in a world like this, these characters can contain multitudes. Like I think both of those takes are correct. In some instances, De Hoffman is very trapped. He does take advantage of women at their lowest points and recruits them for an immortal life of evil. But at the same time, he does let Willow make her own choices, and um, you know he he just seems like a very a very caring manager. You know the relationships that he has with his his demon women employees seems healthy almost in some (laughs) aspects. So while it's like unhealthy and healthy, and there are all these dimensions to these relationships within the show, just great writing all around. Yeah. And as Brittany points out, that is something this show does, which is on other shows in a lot of fantasy stories, evil is dark and it is dangerous and it's otherworldly in a creepy and serious way. In Buffy, evil is suave. Evil will seduce you. Evil will make you think 
that you're friends with them, aka Spike, right? Like in Buffy, evil is much closer to the real world, where often we get confused about is this evil or not because it feels fun sometimes. It feels familiar. It feels comfortable until it's too late. And I think that's what the show is really good at. So that is very clever writing um, to construct the villains these ways where we fall in love with them because they're so personable. But then we're like, oh, but you're also evil. <laughs> yeah. And I like, hey, we've already gone on record to say that if we had to enter the demon world, if we had to lose our souls and become a demon, we would be vengeance demons because they have a great gig and DeHoffren offers them a lot in their package. So <laughs> it's like a pretty sweet immortality, teleportation, <laughs> lots of money. That's how another theory is that Anya keeps her money because she was a vengeance demon for a thousand years and DeHoffren pays well. So she's got a whole stack of money in somewhere Good saved point. up or treasure. Um, yeah. So thanks, Brittany. That's a great uh, hot steak. Uh, so we also want to thank one of our new supporters, Jace. Jace says, I'm 32 years old. So same age as me. <laughs> From the UK, my uncle gave me season one of Buffy on VHS when I was about 12. And I loved them straight away. Angel always spoke to me even before I knew why. And I didn't actually watch the rest of the series until I was 18 or so. I did always like Xander, but I love watching the series through with a modern day eye and fully behind the Xander slander now. Uh, Angel, of course, and Anya are my favorite characters. And he says, I'm really enjoying the comic re-release as well. Mm. Thanks, Jace. And thank you, Kendara, for joining us. Oh, yeah. It was so fun having it you. It was so fun. I love this episode. So silly. <laughs> so silly. So, so good. So, Kendara, any final thoughts on this episode? And would you like to tell us what are you working on next? Oh, yes. And actually, they are kind of related. Um, so I have been writing the In Every Generation series. Um, it actually has like an official series title now. It's called Buffy the Next Generation. Ooh. Like Star Trek, the next generation. <laughs> Love it. Um, the second book in the trilogy comes out in January, and it is called One Girl in All the World. And I'm going to like make up a list of episodes that people might want to watch if they want to like brush up on the jokes or get in the general vibe of the second book nice. and a new man is on that list so if you listen to this episode you're like primed for the book <laughs> that's perfect so you are welcome back anytime you want this was so fun and you've come at a good time for us because we are taking our summer break uh we're taking a break in july this is we've chosen you to come oh you actually picked this episode but it's perfect timing go out with a bang right and we're going to take a couple weeks off um and enjoy our our summer a little bit in july and we'll be back in august i know you had said in your original interview with us that uh season four was actually your favorite season of buffy so you are more than welcome to come back whenever you want oh Thank you. That is so kind. I would also really like to come back for a few episodes in like season six. Oh. So yes, yes. Just let us know. Yeah, let us know. And then thank you to all of our supporters on Buy Me a Coffee. Especially our chosen ones. Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, Taza, Alexandra, Kyle, Kayla, Destiny, Brady, Erica, Justine, Allison, Lena, Chase, and Julian. Thanks, everyone. We will see you soon, but not next week, but soon enough. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!